Hello and welcome back to the Politics Home podcast, returning to your ears after Parliament's Easter recess. I'm Matt Foster, news editor at Politics Home. As ever, there's a ton of stuff to talk about, and what better guide could you hope for than Paul Holmes editor <laughs> Kevin Schofield? <laughs> Hello, Kevin. Your rise is in the post. Well done. <laughs> Hello. Um, I'm also delighted to be joined by Nick, uh, one of our ace reporters, who is joining us to talk about the state of play in Westminster. Hello, Nick. Hello. Um, and you also notice that Nick is Scottish. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm feeling outnumbered here. Keep up that quota, I think. Victimised, in a way, really. Um, It's been a vintage week so far, hasn't it, guys? Uh, We've had an angry war of words over Brexit, as ever. Uh, Candidates quitting amid social media meltdowns. A fresh failed plot to oust the Prime Minister. And Nicola Sturgeon sounding a bit like she's kicking an independence referendum can down the road. If it sounds to you like British politics has picked up exactly where it left off, you may well be onto something. Perhaps it's worth just just sort of looking at the, the bigger picture on Brexit at the, at the moment, Kevin, um, after the Easter recess. How are those cross-party talks to find a deal going? Any uh, massive breakthroughs? Uh, well, well, they're going. So that's probably about as much as you can as much as you can say. No, there's been no breakthrough breakthroughs, and, and nor is there any likelihood, I don't think. The only interesting development this week, I guess, is that for the first time, Theresa May has expressed her frustration at Labour. So up until now, it's been Labour criticising her for not moving on the red lines, particularly on a customs union. Um, but this week at, at Cabinet, we were told that um, Theresa May gave an update uh, to Cabinet, basically saying that you know there are um, real differences between both sides in terms of the timetable as much as anything. She feels that Labour are, are dragging their heels. Um, essentially... She wants this all wrapped up, deal done, agreed by Parliament in time for the UK not to have to take part in the European elections, which are due on the 23rd of May. Labour um, are in no such hurry. Um, I mean, you can see why she wants to avoid it, because all the polls suggest that the Tories, the Tories are going to get an absolute shoo-in. Um, whereas Labour can help that happen by making sure that these elections take place. So there's no real... Um, time pressure on Labour to sign up to it. So that's why there's a sense of drift. And that's before you even get to whether there's a possibility of even them doing a deal. And right now it's looking like they're pretty far apart. Nick, remind our grateful listeners what the kind of big sticking points are in in those talks still. Uh, Well, I think as Kevin says, um, Labour holding out for a customs union. Um, They're not moving on that. Um, Other than that... You know, Theresa May is saying that they're drag- the Labour are dragging their feet. Keir Starmer saying that uh, the the PM isn't moving on a red lines. As far as I can tell, nothing's really changed. As you as you're saying, no. And I mean, they've, they've tried to inject a bit more uh, impetus in it. They've, they've broken up into like working groups, which makes it sound a bit more dramatic. It makes it sound like something's happening, but in actual fact, you know, they might be able to agree on bits and pieces here and there. Um, but on the big ticket stuff, this customs union that Labour will not bend on, and the government won't bend in their opposition to it. So, you know, as long as that's the case, then I don't see how you can get a deal over the line. Um, and the government have also said, look, they're not going to continue these talks indefinitely. You know, if it looks like they're no longer productive, then they'll just call it quits. And they say that thus far they are still productive, but it doesn't seem to be producing hellish much to be honest with you so um, I don't really foresee any breakthroughs on the horizon Um, There's been some more highly technical talk this week uh, about the possibility of the Prime Minister 
bypassing a fourth meaningful vote on her deal after it was rejected three times in the Commons and instead bringing the withdrawal agreement bill before Parliament. Explain what that would actually mean and kind of what incentive there is for the Prime Minister to do that rather than going for the fourth meaningful vote. Yes, so the the withdrawal agreement bill is the piece of legislation which needs to be passed by Parliament in order to, to ratify Britain's exit from the European Union. So it would bring the withdrawal agreement into law, essentially. So without this bill being passed, the UK cannot leave the EU. So it's a pretty important piece of piece of legislation. So yeah, she's obviously tried to get the deal itself through on three occasions and has failed. So now there are... I mean, they're just they're scrabbling around, essentially, just to try and find a way out of this mess that they've got themselves into. And they've hit upon this idea, well, maybe if we can pass the withdrawal agreement bill, but I don't see how that would be any easier than passing the withdrawal agreement document itself. So the argument goes that, well, if we can pass the bill, then that means that we'll pass the withdrawal agreement as well because the numbers will be pretty much the same. But um, but they don't want to introduce it and for it to fall and for, because they couldn't bring it back again in this parliamentary session. So then you're looking at what's known as um, Parliament being prorogued, which is essentially starting a new Parliament session. There'd need to be a Queen's speech, which would need to be voted on and passed. And if you can't pass a Queen's speech, then the government would basically fall. So, you know, the stakes are enormous. And um, as I say, yeah, they're just sort of thrashing around looking for a way out. And there's just nothing um, obvious presenting itself. And what you've got to bear in mind is that the whole point, really, of them agreeing to have an Easter recess was... MPs were supposed to go away for a week, take a deep breath, speak to their constituents, maybe look at the bigger picture, come back refreshed and with a determination to actually get Brexit done. But, you know, we don't seem to have moved on one inch. I mean, I, th- I think that's, that's slightly unfair. The, the, the Tory Brexiteers have been um, talking about something called alternative arrangements for the, the Northern Ireland border, which is one we've not... <laughs> Not heard before. Nick, is, is there any chance of um, that going anywhere? Well, it's about time someone raised that, really, isn't it? I mean, um, yeah, staggering. It's, Groundhog Day has become a sort of overused <laughs> phrase, a sort of Groundhog Day phrase in itself. But, um, yeah, it's the EU has said no how many times? I, I don't know. Right from um, the start, really. I mean, they've agreed to work on this, haven't they? But, I mean, in, in the long term, they will work on what's being called... for this initial stage. Um, yeah, I saw Robert Peston reporting that um, Prime Minister wants to test the bill without the backstop, so, like, the Brady Amendment. He said that this morning. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's just... It's nuts, isn't it? Yeah. It's not, I mean, the, the EU have been very clear. There needs to be a backstop. The backstop is in the withdrawal yeah. agreement. They're not going to reopen the withdrawal agreement. Therefore, the backstop... Stays and these alternative arrangements is just a, um, a euphemism for technological solutions and um, maybe like being able to check goods away from the border so you wouldn't have to have checkpoints on the border between north and south. But um, you know, no one can point to any um, example of that anywhere in the world. You know, these, these um, technological solutions literally do not exist and won't exist for years if they ever if they ever do. So um again it's just another, you know, shot in the dark. Oh let's why don't we try this and see if that works. And there's no there's no strategic thinking really. And it would be the it would be the EU throwing Ireland under the bus, which they've said the whole time that they will not do. And if they did, you know, that would have major repercussions for them um sort of more widely. So yeah, it's it's a non starter really, isn't it? I think so. I was thinking probably for the next podcast we do, I'll just use 
uh, repurpose clips from previous Brexit episodes and just, just patch something together because it seems like we're saying the same stuff we've yeah, been no. saying for the last year no, at least. No, I can only apologise. Um, on the subject of kind of endless repetition, uh, the Prime Minister's been under pressure from her own MPs this week. Yeah. Um, there have been kind of new backbench mutterings about her future. Um, Kevin, explain the kind of latest plot to try and oust Theresa May. Yeah, so if you, if you remember, if you think back to December when there was a vote of confidence, vote of no confidence uh, attempt uh, against the Prime Minister by Tory MPs, which, which fell, she passed that um, motion of confidence. Uh, and under Tory party rules, it meant that that couldn't be tried again for another 12 months, so essentially kept her in the job until December at the earliest. Um, some Tory, uh, senior Tory backbenchers decided, actually, why don't we just change the rules to mean that we can um, do it after six months instead of 12, so therefore there could be a challenge in June. So the executive of the 1922 committee, which is a committee of Tory backbench MPs, they held two meetings this week to decide whether or not to change the rules and ultimately decided not to change the rules, uh, arguing that, you know, OK, that might get us over this particular hump at the moment and get rid of Theresa May. However, it would mean in future, future Tory leaders would always have that hanging over them, you know, this threat that every six months they could face another uh, vote of conference, and that doesn't really um, lend itself to good um, uh, good political leadership. So, uh, so yeah, so all the Tory MPs then crammed into Committee Room 14 last night in the Commons to hear this verdict, and, uh, and yeah, we spoke to Graham Brady afterwards, who's the chairman of the 1922 Committee. The decision was, first of all, uh, that we determined there should not be a rule change to remove the 12-month period of grace during which uh, a second confidence vote uh, cannot be held. Um, we further determined that we should remind colleagues that it is always available to them uh, to write to me as chairman of the 1922 committee raising concerns or setting out their thoughts, including concerns about the leadership of the party, and that uh, the strength of opinion would be communicated by me to the leader of the party should they decide to do so. And thirdly, uh, we determined uh, that... Uh, following the Prime Minister's decision a few weeks ago to set out a clear schedule for her departure as leader of the party uh, in the event of the withdrawal agreement being passed, uh, we would seek similar clarity from her in other circumstances. So I think the 1922 executive is asking on behalf of the Conservative Party in Parliament uh, that uh, we should have a clear uh, roadmap uh, forward. So... Kevin, are we now in a position where the Prime Minister basically can't be ousted unless the Cabinet kind of loses faith in her yeah. uh, or she chooses to just go of her own own volition? Yeah, basically that's it. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that that really would be the nuclear option, would be the Cabinet to go in and say, right, we can no longer support you, you're going to have to go. Um, but there's no there's no suggestion right now that, that is, that's on the cards. And yeah, or if she was to resign, take it upon herself to... Uh, resign and again that doesn't seem likely at the moment She's, she has a, a sense of mission essentially to try and get Brexit through uh, regardless of how hopeless a task it now appears um, I don't. I think she would rather chew her arm off than, than hand the keys to number 10 over to somebody like, like Boris Johnson for instance Nick, the Prime Minister has also been facing um, kind of grassroots pressure over the Easter recess um, what's that all about? 
Uh, this is from a Telegraph report on Monday that the um, NCC want an extraordinary general meeting. Um, so this was the, the NCC, was that? the National Conservative Convention. Okay. So this um, is kind of grassroots. This is yes, this is volunteer council, local, asso- sorry, local asso- association leaders, yeah. chairs. Um, so they've put forward this petition, um, essentially, and they need the support of 65 to sort of declare they have no confidence um, in the Prime Minister, but all it sort of does, or in the Conservative leader, um, but all it really does is exert pressure. So as Kevin was saying, you know, she'd rather chew her arm off. You know, if you've, <laughs> it's a symbolic um, thing, isn't it? Really? It's symbolic. It doesn't, yeah, it can't shift her any more than the 1922 committee can. And even then, I don't think it seems to have gone anywhere, does it? Again, it was just... So they've requested, they've formally requested a meeting at which they can express their anger about Theresa May, which I I think it's unprecedented, but it's also, you know, it's a symbolic thing because of the way the Conservative Party is structured. You know, the grassroots activists don't have a huge amount of say in in how the party is is organised. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that that, again, I I mean, I wrote about this this morning. she's, She's fortunate, I think, in that... Um, although that you know, everyone agrees, I think that she's not very good, and the Tories would dearly love to, to get rid of her. There's no obvious way at the moment of getting rid of her, and there's also no no alternative candidate that they can all coalesce around. You know, so if there is a leadership contest, it would be an absolute bloodbath. And when you've got local elections coming up, European elections coming up, um, the that would just be you know horrific for for the for the for the Tory party for that to be going on against that that, that kind of backdrop. As, con- as Kevin hinted at there, the uh, polls have not been good for the Tories going into the European elections. Um, has that kind of upped the pressure on the Prime Minister, Nick? Um, I think it has. Um, it's just it's another thing to put pressure onto, but it's hard to see. Again, as you were saying, there's no nobody to replace her as it stands. The things you know, she is she's going to wait it out till the Brexit agreement is at least has progressed or is through to some extent. So. You know, no matter how damaging the EU elections are, I'd find it hard to believe that that would be sort of catalyst to remove her. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I should have mentioned as well, like what Graham Brady said earlier in that in that clip. The one, the one thing that the 1922 executive did decide was that um, the that the Prime Minister must come forward with a clear timetable for when she's going to go. So at the moment, she's already said to them that she will go once the first phase of Brexit is over, i.e. Once the withdrawal agreement is passed, then she'll go mm. and hand over to someone else. She'll feel that she's at least done her duty as far as Brexit's concerned. However, they've said, well, hang on a minute. At the moment, it doesn't look like it's going to pass, and we don't want you hanging around indefinitely, so you've got to tell us when you're going to leave. So there's not been any response yet from Downing Street. It'll be interesting to see what they say in response to that. So it's basically saying, that, look, you've got to give us a date that come what may, you will be out the door by then. Which again is pretty unprecedented, I think, but um, we've not had any formal response yet from Downing Street as to how, um, how they're going to approach that. Hello, it's Matt here with a message from Politics Home's central lobby team. Are you looking to engage with the most influential people in UK politics and ensure your message resonates with politicians, policymakers, and national press? You can do so by becoming a Politics Home member. Politics Home members have the opportunity to publish interviews, op-eds and press releases which are promoted across our site, email bulletins and social media and managed by our team of consultants. To see how Politics Home can help your organisation engage with parliamentarians or if you're an MP or peer who'd like to write an article for Politics Home, please drop us an email at centrallobby 
all one word, central lobby at politicshome.com. Thanks. So, uh, Nigel Farage, former UKIP leader, also seems to have got the Conservatives pretty worried going into the European elections. He launched his uh, new Brexit party before the Easter recess, and he's um, unveiled a few names this week. Um, who's, who's kind of on the, on the billing for the party going into the European elections? Um, well, he announced five candidates this week on, um, on top of Annunziata Rees-Mogg, who's announced over the Easter break, sister of Jacob Rees-Mogg, mm. arch-Brexiteer. And um, as we like to call them, um, and yet alongside that, there's um, TV pundit Claire Fox, who was a former member of the Communist Party. Um, so of course that's interesting that she's standing alongside Nigel Farage. He's um, seeking to use that as to, as a way of saying, you know, we're this diverse movement where every, anything anyone. Um, who wants Brexit is welcome in this party. Forgetting the fact um, that the far left and the far right are actually very, very close they, to one another, yeah. <laughs> conveniently. But, um, he was endorsed by George Galloway, wasn't he, of course, as well. That was an extraordinary moment of the two Yeah, sides I mean, being. who knows, maybe there'll be a late maybe appearance from him, but um, nothing as of yet. But, um, yes, yeah, so the five candidates that you put forward today, or, or last week, um, there was a nurse, there was a, a salmon exporter, there was Claire Fox, as we said, a TV pundit. There was an army veteran and a charity CEO. So um, he's trying to sell that as quite a sort of a decent group of, you know, representative non-politicians, that sort of thing. So I, love, I love the idea that of, of, of Nigel Farage tried to paint himself as this anti-politician yeah. when the, the guy's been an MEP for, what, 20-odd years and has tried to get into the House of Commons but seven different times, you know. But, uh, but, but fair play to the guy, it seems, it seems, to, be, it seems to be working. Wasn't the entire 2016 referendum supposed to finish off Nigel Farage and give the Tories uh, uh, an untrammeled uh, run of power? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was the plan. Uh, how, did, how did that go? It hasn't, hasn't worked out like that. I mean, if you remember, you know, Brexit being voted for led to the complete implosion of UKIP. Mm. Nigel Farage stood down and had a succession of leaders, lost count how many leaders they had um, in a very short space of time. Um, and they have drifted off to become a sort of BMP light, almost. Um, and this Brexit party is now filling, trying to fill the space that UKIP used to... I mean, I've seen Farage talking as well about going after Labour Leave voters as well, which is something else that UKIP did to... Um, reasonable, reasonable success. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, as, as I say, you've got to say he is an impressive campaigner, and he's managed to get a party, which is basically a vehicle for him, off the ground very, very quickly, and has created a head of steam. And if the polls are to be believed, are, are likely to do pretty well in the local elections. I mean, he's painting this again like he used to in, in, in his UKIP days, as you know, we're going to smash the two-party system. That works in the European elections which are held under proportional representation but the difficulty as he found when he tried to stand for Parliament on numerous occasions to try and do it under first past the post which is so heavily weighted in favour of the main parties um, will be much more much more difficult. We've talked a lot about the uh, Brexiteer wing of the, uh, the European elections debate today but obviously Change UK, or formerly known as the Independent Group, are uh, pushing... Well, actually, they call themselves Change UK, the Independent Group. I think there's a dash in there as well, isn't there? God. Just, just not to, in the local. Just trips off the tongue. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, they they are... There was a lot of buzz around them 
when they launched with a defection of a, a string of kind of Labour and, and Tory MPs earlier in the year. Um, how's their European election campaign shaping up so far, Kevin? Not great, it has to be said. Uh, I mean, they've experienced one of the main pitfalls for a new party facing an imminent election is they've had to find candidates very, very quickly and have obviously not had time to do proper vetting. So they had their formal launch a couple of days ago and within 24 hours, two candidates had had to resign because of um, social media posts that they'd made in the past very quickly came to light. Uh, their political opponents did a very good job in trying to unearth um, dirt on them. And um, yeah, it's without doubt it's embarrassing. They've tried to turn it into a positive by saying, well, we acted quickly. Other parties, obviously, hint, hint, Labour here, haven't acted so quickly when their members and candidates have been exposed for various indiscretions. Um, but it is embarrassing and they've not really kind of got off the ground as a party, I don't think. Uh, and the other problem is they've tried to paint themselves as the, air quotes, Remain Alliance. But, you know, they're fighting over a very small political space. You've got the Lib Dems who are anti-Brexit. You've got the Greens who are anti-Brexit as well. And they all seem to be kind of fighting over the same bunch of voters. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think they're having quite a tough time right now. Chris Leslie made clear the other day that he, he didn't want to work with the uh, with the Lib Dems at all. You know, saying he, they're they're kind of an old force in politics and we're we're the new kids on the block. But like you say, they are pushing the same message, the same key policy. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're pretty much a one issue one issue party right now. I don't know where they stand on tax and public services and all, and all that stuff. They've been very very quiet about that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's difficult to see them making much of a breakthrough at the, at the European elections. Nick, I've got a bit of an essay question for you. Is, um, is any party in 2019 capable of fielding candidates who haven't done a bunch of racist tweets? <laughs> <laughs> um, possibly not. Um, Legal yeah, requirement. Legal right. requirement, yeah, I don't want to say anything. Um, but yeah, this idea that they would be the new politics, they've sort of, they've tripped up a bit, haven't they, by not doing their due diligence of control F on a Twitter page to find what anybody may have written before. Well, one, one of them that got, that got binned yesterday had slagged off Anna Subri yeah. on Twitter. And Anna Subri is obviously one of the founding members of Change Your Keys. You think, you think that'd be pretty basic, you know, you'd go through the tweets and search for... Chuka Muna, search for Luciana Berger, uh, Anna Subri, you know, just make sure they've not said anything dodgy. In fact, I think did, did one of them did get one of the things, one of the guys that had to stand down, he had slagged off Chuka Muna as well in, in the past. So uh, it's just basic stuff, isn't it? So, bizarrely, for a title where uh, a full 50% of our editorial staff are Scottish, um, we don't spend <laughs> a lot of time here talking about events north of the border. Um, Shameful. Shameful. <laughs> despite Kevin's best attempts. Um, but Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon made a big intervention this week in the debate over whether to go for a second independence referendum. Uh, Nick, what did she announce? Um, she said that she wants a second independence referendum by the end of this parliamentary period so that um, at Holyrood is by t- May 2021. Um Emphasis on wants it because she can't, well she can but she can't really make it happen to the point that it's legally binding that it and that it's enforceable. So she's going to put the legislation forward um, by the end of this year that would sort of allow it to sort of 
get the, the, rules, the, the rules, isn't it? I yeah. think, so the rules of how it would be held, yeah. And Ned has said that she will seek a Section 30 order that would make that would allow Hollywood to take on um, sorry, not for, uh, well, the the Westminster would need to give a Section 30 order to make any referendum legally binding. Legally binding, so it has credibility. Um, so that's just a bit. But this is if Brexit happens. Okay. So, I mean, it's heavily caveated, and it, it is three days ahead of the SNP conference. Um, so, uh-huh. I mean, I think we can, I'm not sure what we can take from that. I think you can join join the dots there. <laughs> I mean, this comes around every six months. They're still the only party, I think, that has a conference both in the autumn and in the spring. And ev- ever since the last referendum, every single one has basically been, right, what's Nicola Sturgeon going to say about a second referendum? And, uh, yeah, so she's up the ante again. But as Nick said, you know, it was, it was heavily caveated. She by no means saying there will definitely be a referendum within the next two years. And also, I wonder whether she really wants one because the polls in Scotland don't seem to suggest there's been much of a shift in public opinion since the last referendum. Uh, but she's got a grassroots movement to satisfy, and they are desperate for another referendum because they're convinced that um, the independent side would, would definitely win it. How's number ten responded to this? Um full-throated cry for independence. Uh, yeah, well, they've uh, stuck to the tried-and-tested line that um, you had a referendum in 2014. Both sides said at the time that they would agree to respect the result. Scotland voted to stay in the UK, therefore you're not having one, basically. Uh, and the, the phrase that the Prime Minister spokesman used yesterday is it's time for the UK to be pulling together rather than... Uh, breaking apart. I mean, there's, there's there's risk there. It worked two years ago when Theresa May first knocked back uh, Nicola Sturgeon's request for uh, the power to have a referendum because then there was a general election soon after it and SNP did, did pretty badly. Um, but uh, there's a danger for, for Downing Street because the SNP can turn around and say, well, look, this is Westminster are refusing, you know, they're, they're refusing us the right to have another referendum and that could potentially... Uh, backfire on number ten, but at the moment it doesn't it doesn't appear to be working that, out that way. And even that's been sort of tried before, hasn't it? And hasn't really garnered the outrage that the SNP hoped. No, um, I mean Ian Blackford gets up out every week at PMQs mm-hmm. saying that Scotland is being ignored and Scotland will not be ignored forever, and Scotland will reclaim its independence. Which you know it's great red meat for the SNP grassroots, but whether it changes any minds of the the swing voters that they would need to back. Um, independence. I'm, I'm not. I'm not so sure. Nick, do you think Brexit's helped or hindered the SNP? Um, it seems we're kind of no closer to that big break that, that Nicola Sturgeon hinted at on the on the morning after the referendum. Well, I suppose on the one hand, the polls haven't really shifted a great deal, but it does give them a cause to pursue one. It would be hard at this point, five years on, if say Brexit hadn't happened, and the SNP had won another majority or another, been able to form another government in Holyrood. Um, it would have been difficult for them to come up with another reason to have one. And it would have been easier to shut down. It would have been, no, you had one five years ago, as Kevin said, um, as Downing Street said yesterday. But, you know, there's the argument there. Scotland did vote heavily to remain. Britain as a whole didn't. Um, so whether it works or not for them is a different question. But ultimately, it, it does give them something to run with. So, And it could turn around. We don't know where we'll be next week, never mind at the end of the year or by 2021. Yeah, so it might be the independent special next week, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> um, right, we've got a few questions in from listeners, guys. Um, 
This one is from William Hill, who asks... Uh, in, well, he asked before, didn't he? Yeah. I think he asked a similar question before, but All we're right. in you know, Groundhog Day. We'll so, try uh, again. Yeah, we'll have another go. Um, in view of the 1922 Conservative inaction again, when will the Tories finally sack May? And he adds, despite Corbyn, they are heading for oblivion. Yeah, I mean, he's right. I mean, the Conservatives are facing a, an existential crisis, really. I mean, Brexit has the potential to just completely wipe wipe them out, split them from top to bottom. I mean, it could be the end of the Conservative Party. Who who knows? So you don't want that in your CV if you were the last, if you were the Tory party leader that um, precipitated the complete um, fracture of your, of your party. I mean, yeah, what can they do? I guess they can, we said earlier, the Cabinet could pull the trigger... Either that or they just wait until the end of the year when they can have another go in, in December and, and hope that she would probably lose I mean, at the moment, you say, yeah, she probably would lose it next time around, but who knows where we'll be in eight months' time. So um, they've not been... I mean, the thing that they, the Tory party people always used to say, the thing with Tory party is they're so ruthless. If they've got a bad leader, they just get rid of them. That's what makes them different from Labour. Labour prevaricate and, you know, and, and don't actually pull the trigger. Um but the Tories do, well, that reputation's gone because we all know that they would dearly love to get rid of Theresa May, but they just can't seem to manage to agree how we do it. We've got another question here from uh, Paul from Eton, whose profile points out he lives in Eton but didn't go there. <laughs> um, asks, is Labour playing a long game? Are they waiting for Theresa May to reject their customs union so that they can blame her for a... People's vote, which they want. I mean, some would dispute yeah. that that premise, but um, I don't think four D chess going on here. If, well, if it is, I don't understand the rules, um, which is entirely possible, I guess. Uh, the, they definitely don't want a people's vote, or well, well Jeremy Corbyn doesn't want a people's vote. There's, there's no doubt about that. So I don't think they're playing the long game in order to to get that outcome. Uh, they definitely would like to the Tories to take the blame for the talks falling. I think that's what both sides are now in the situation where they're at, that they can just blame each other for the talks not not um, bearing fruit. So, uh, yeah, he's right in that regard. That's what the, the Labour would like to be able to pin the blame on her. Um, but I don't think it's to get a people's vote. They'd still rather have a general election. We've uh, just got time now, guys, before we head off for uh, your weirdest stories of the week, uh, the increasingly difficult section of the podcast as we struggle to tell comedy from reality. Um, Nick, what's been your weirdest story of the week? So Lord Adonis, who is running for Labour um, in the European elections, told Brexiteers last week not to vote for them. Um, The trouble with that being that they are the majority, or at least close to the majority of the country. Um, and he has had to put out a sort of clarification slash maybe hostage statement sent um, <laughs> to suggest that actually that wasn't the way to go and uh, that the real divide now is between the many and the few um, in a, a six-part statement on Facebook. Wow. Um, so this so is the guess the guy who has opposed Brexit consistently for the last two years is now saying uh, that he supports Labour's form of Brexit. Because that's what Labour are proposing. They're yeah. not proposing to overturn the referendum. They say, in fact, I think in that statement he says that he respects the result of the referendum. So, uh, yeah, next right, it's a hostage statement. I mean, it could have been penned by 
senior figures in Jeremy Corbyn's office rather yeah. than Andrew Adonis himself. But I thought, yeah, the many and the few was just, yeah, that was fantastic, just yeah. putting that in there. That was absolutely... The, the absolute party line yeah. there, then. Um, why has he done that? What's in it for What's in it for Lord Adonis? I mean, surely if we do go into European elections and we end up leaving, that's, that's a pretty short, short moment in the sun. He wants a jobs first Brexit, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> Um, just clarify, we don't have any views on the form of Brexit we would like, or indeed if, if it should not. happen or not. Um, Kevin, what's your weird story of the week been? Uh, well, Labour haven't had a great week on on Twitter, uh, and it was exemplified on Monday, which was Easter Monday, uh, when they put out a, a, an early morning tweet saying, Happy St George's Day. Uh, don't forget, if there's a Labour government, all four of the UK's national patron saints of the four nations will be public holidays under Labour. Slight snag was that it wasn't St George's Day. St George's Day wasn't until the Tuesday, uh, which was very quickly pointed out by various uh, smart arses on Twitter, uh, myself included, and uh, they uh, deleted the tweet and um, said no more about it, although they did put a thing out the next day to say, Happy St George's Day! So, uh, yeah. All a bit embarrassing. They literally didn't know what day of the week it was. That's that's pretty incredible. Um, I, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to throw in my own weirdest story of the week as well. Um, this one just, I was just, I, I do the early morning breakfast briefing, um, which means getting up quite quite early to, to file stories. I was sat there alone in the dark, chuckling to this one. Um, slightly troubling image. But basically, a government minister resigned on uh, Tuesday night, Lord Bates. He was an international um, development minister. He's actually resigned from the government a couple of times before, once because he turned up to a debate late. Um, But he resigned this week. Um, He didn't really reveal why he'd done that. He wrote a piece for Politics Home where he revealed that he'd, uh, he'd quit because of incivility over Brexit. And the kicker here is he's decided now to walk all the way to Brussels with his wife uh, in a bid to find the common ground and heal the country's divisions, which I thought was um, a pretty extraordinary moment in, in British politics. Well, if that doesn't solve Brexit, I don't know what will. <laughs> Lord Bates walking to Brussels, you know? Come on, guys, let's sort it out now. He, he did caveat in the, in the piece, I must say, um, it's probable that our walk will fail to either uh, identify common ground you don't see. or begin a process of national coming together. But he's having a good go. And it's I, worth I've a try. To say it. It was a, it's a lovely piece to read. He's just, tried, it's a plea for... They've tried pretty of, much everything else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. maybe he could ask for some alternative arrangements while he's there. <laughs> Um, well, guys, that is that is all we've got time for this week. Um, thank you, as ever, for sending in all your questions. Please keep them coming in to um, at Politics Home and sign up for our seven-day-a-week breakfast briefing by going to politicshome.com forward slash register. Until next week, have a great one. One spectre kind of haunting the Tories going into the European elections is the uh, is that of Nigel Farage. Um, let's just try that again. Make it sound like he's dead.